I've said it, uh, I try to say it regularly and just remind us that we are a multi-congregational church, uh, meaning we are one church with multiple congregations right now in Bethlehem at Spring Garden Elementary. Hope Alliance Bethlehem is meeting and singing songs about Jesus, and we're actually going through the same teaching series through our sort of core identity and our passions, and um, it's, it's an honor to be a part of a multi-congregational church. I don't know if you realize the blessing that it is to me as a pastor, but to us as a congregation that we have someone else doing the same thing as us and that we get to do ministry together and dream and pray together about the future and um, share leadership and finances, which is really helpful for a church plant. Maybe you don't realize that, but it is a, a blessing to be a part of that. Um, Tony Steck is here. He's one of our leadership team at the church. Uh, if you want to talk to him about Bethlehem or about the church in general uh, or just harass him about things, that's fine. Uh, but, but he's here today because um, we're doing a covenant membership interview uh, with some folks after church. And so that's also a plug for covenant membership. Um, I can talk to you about that at some time. We're going to have a class hopefully in the new year to talk through what it means to be a part of this multi-congregational church in a deeper and more committed way than maybe you already are, but would love to talk with you about that. We're wrapping up today this series we've been going through called This is Hope. Uh, I started this by saying we felt like it was an appropriate thing to do, seeing as about 60% of our congregation is different than it was from the last time we went through this series uh, before covid and felt appropriate to go through it. And you remember we started talking about simply Jesus being the thing, like the, the, like the what we are all about. Our passion is simply Jesus and living that out in gospel saturation, casual depth, and genuine connections. And today we're going to be talking about multiplication mindset. And to help set the stage for this, I'm going to tell you a story about my favorite band. All right? Adam is going to talk about the Eagles, and I figure if he can talk about the Eagles and the pagan worship that is the NFL, I can talk about a pagan band, all right? So I'm going to do it. My favorite band is a little group, maybe you've heard of them before, called Fish, starting with the PH. Got their start at University of Vermont in 1983. They are old, and they can still rock, all right? I'll tell you that much. They started as this little college band, and they studied music theory, and they were great musicians. Well, you might argue with that, but they're great musicians, and their first show was, I think, December 3rd, 1983, and I know that because I'm a dork who has studied them, and I care about music history and this band and their bios and where they came from, how they got their start and all that stuff, and they started by playing, of all things, a show at the ROTC, quickly got booed off stage, and Thriller was put on, because that was much better music back then for the ROTC than this band that was covering the Grateful Dead and Creedence Clearwater Revival. But anyway, they went on from there to start touring all over the place. They played routinely at a bar in Burlington called Nectars. I've been there. You can go see, again, pilgrimage of the faithful to Nectars. Start out as this little band, and and back then, we still had things called tape recorders. Maybe you kids have heard of these. And people started taping the shows. Then the band started giving permission to people come in and actually plug into the soundboard so they could get soundboard quality recordings, which still weren't that great in the early 80s. But they were plugging in so that they could get these tapes. And then a magazine popped up, a fan magazine popped up, fanzine, all right? So they, this thing pops up, and people start trading these tapes back and forth across the country. Oh, you know, who's got 519.84? Okay, I'm looking for 7290. And they would start trading these tapes back and forth across the country. 
And then one show, they even started doing secret language, using music notes, telling people there were certain things that they would, certain actions they would do based on these musical notes. Well, this is on, I think it was on the East Coast. And then when they went to the West Coast and started playing it there, people had already heard about it because of the tape trading and were going along with the secret language. This whole, this whole cult of people starts forming around this band that half of you have probably never even heard of. So by the time we get to the year 2000, in the year 2000, okay, Conan reference. All right, so by the time we get to 2000, in 1999, and Y2K is happening, remember the fear of that, they decide to hold this massive festival. They'd already held festivals in Limestone, Maine, and upstate New York. They hold this massive festival in the big uh, Seminole Reservation in the Everglades in Florida. Peter Jennings covered it, caused a 20-mile backup on Alligator Alley. They had a post office set up in the middle of the festival because it was so big, people were there for so long. And they, they estimate there were like 80,000 people there. No one knows about this band. They're some of the pioneers of streamable music. Anything you know from Napster came from them. Downloadable music, you can thank them for that, believe it or not. Anything you know about music festivals, Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, everybody took their cues from this band that no one knows anything about. And I'm the dork that follows them. And I care about them, and I study them, and I want to know more about them. And if you know me, I've probably talked to you about them. I've probably tried to play music for you. Steve's nodding his head in the back. I've probably tried to convince you of the worth of this band that no one's ever heard of. I guarantee you they are first ballot entries into the Rock Hall of Fame someday because of the influence they have had on on the music community, whether you know it or not. Why do I tell you this? Because I care about them. I tell people about them. Now, that might be true with you about sports, eagles, something that you care about, art, music, whatever. What I want to talk about today in our setting, in our non-pagan Jesus setting, all right, is this, that the person that knows Jesus in their life, that really knows Jesus in their life, will use their life to make Jesus known. You understand what I'm saying? That when you know Jesus in your life and you are walking with the rabbi and he's making a difference in your life, you will then use your life to help other people know about him. And lots of people won't know about him. Lots of people won't care. Subversive. You're the dorks that follow him. You can laugh about that. That's okay. It's who we are. This countercultural thing that loves Jesus enough that he's making a difference in our lives that we then want other people to know about him and use our lives to make him known. At Hope Alliance, we call that having a multiplication mindset. Core to who we are is having a multiplication mindset. Simply Jesus is the what of who we are, the the gospel saturation, casual depth, genuine connections. These are like the how that we live it out. Multiplication mindset is like the why. Like, why do we do this? Because Jesus is worth it. Because of what he's doing in our lives, we've sensed it, we've experienced it, we want other people to know about it. That's why we model our church the way that we do. Means making disciples, more disciples, and mature disciples, both those things, always intention, right? We want more disciples and we want mature disciples. We, we do this, we want them living for the glory of God, and we do it as individuals, we do it as ministries, and we do it as whole churches, 
as congregations multiplying out into the world for the glory of Jesus. Friends, we would not exist as a congregation if other people did not have a multiplication mindset before us. Do you understand this? If, if Tony and Jeff and John and Adam six years ago hadn't had a sense from God that they were supposed to plant another church, Jess and I don't come here. We don't know that there's an opportunity here. We don't plant Hope Nazareth. If the Christian and Missionary Alliance hadn't cared 12 years ago to plant Adam and Rachel Eshbaugh in Bethlehem to start a congregation, Hope Bethlehem doesn't exist. And we could trace that all the way back to see all these people who've had a multiplication mindset to say, Jesus is worth being known. We will invest our time, talents, treasures into making it happen. Friends, we're here today because of a multiplication mindset. It's something that we get to be a part of. And in obedience to Jesus and wanting the full life with him, we lean into it. I want to tell us a story today, or read something out of the book of Acts about the church at Antioch. Now, the church of Antioch pops up here and there through the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. All right, four, uh, fifth book of the New Testament tells the story of the apostles. Well, the church of Antioch is there. And the church of Antioch began as a result of persecution. Early on, the church is exploding with growth in Jerusalem. And this church is launched out of a persecution that happens in Jerusalem. Disciples are scattered. Antioch gets planted, and it becomes an explosive center for growth in the early church. And in multiplication mindset of Antioch, what we see is people were reaching the lost because Jesus' followers multiply themselves. They reproduce themselves out into the world. The church at Antioch was growing people who had been reached, maturing people into leadership, commissioning them to then go and make disciples. They were pulling their resources together to do ministry, to care for the lost, to care for the hurting in their, in their midst. New ministries were being birthed out of their church as a result of tangible needs. And then you know what they did? They sent their best out. How many organizations do that? The church does it. You have a multiplication mindset. The church says we send our people out. We send them out to the corners of the earth, wherever they can go to tell people about Jesus. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, let's read them. I'm going to read this, this story about the church at Antioch. Turn to uh, Acts 11. Of all these people, it says, it starts by saying, now those who have been scattered. So this, this persecution happens. Stephen is one of the first martyrs of the early church, as far as we know. And this persecution happens, we start seeing it in Acts chapter 7, and the disciples get scattered outside of Jerusalem. And they finally actually go to where Jesus told them to go, which was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. They had just been hunkering down in Jerusalem. And so it says this in verse 19, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. So they're still kind of only speaking to their own, right? But verse 20, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. So now you have Greek people, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, like saw the good things that God was doing, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So in a multiplication mindset, there's this, there's this passion to reach the lost, as Jesus calls them. That he came to seek and save those who were lost, to bring them out of darkness into light. There's a, there's a passion within the people of God to go and multiply and reach the lost. The person that knows Jesus in their life uses their life to make Jesus known, friends. This is part of what it means to be a disciple and to actually truly love and know Jesus. And so I want to talk for a second about what this, what this means, the implications of this. Can I just tell you, I, I've grown up in the megachurch movement, and maybe you've been part of big churches. The best means of reaching people with Jesus, with the good news of the gospel, it might be called outreach, but it's not always outreach events. A lot of times churches do these big outreach events, but it doesn't actually make an impact. Do you know why? Because it's devoid of relationship. Friends, relationship between people is the avenue that we can run down to preach the gospel to other people, to share the good news with people. It's not just having events. Now, have we done events? Yes. Will we do events? Yeah, probably. But they only actually work in the ways that we are relational and inviting friends and neighbors to come to these things that we do. This is why I argue always for relationship, sometimes for outreach events, okay? When we want to multiply ourselves, it is, it's on the avenue of relationship. The best means of people, meeting people, is in relationship. Everyone, you, me, if you're a Jesus follower, every one of us is called to this. Introverted, extroverted. Jesus doesn't ask that question. He tells us that we are all, as disciples, to be going and making other disciples. Matthew 28. Have you heard of this passage, the Great Commission, as it's called, when Jesus is commissioning the church? Acts 1, he commissions the church to go and be witnesses of his out into the world. Matthew 28, read this with me. He says this. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's getting ready to leave, right? He's died, he's resurrected, he's getting ready to return to the Father. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, let that be an encouragement to you, that when we go and do this, Jesus is with us to the end of the age of the age. He's saying, go, as you are going, make disciples. As you are living your lives, make disciples. As you are going. It's not just for missionaries who are sent. We are all sent. You understand? We are all sent by Jesus to multiply ourselves, to go and teach people about Jesus, to tell others about what we are experiencing. And so often, what we want to see happen is like maybe a person, a new person comes in the door. That's great. And I praise God for that. Trust me, as a church planter, I praise God for that when new folks come in. Half of you weren't here before, right? Like I, I'm glad that new people come in the door. But we can't just count on addition. Jesus is telling all of us to go and be at work in this, which actually starts to cause multiplication. Not just one here. And then maybe someday one over here, one by one by one. Listen to this. 
Sun Life put together, Sun Life's a curriculum, a Christian curriculum company. They put together these stats. These are a couple years old, so the math has probably changed because the global population has gotten bigger, but just bear with me, okay? You'll get the point. In addition, right, think about, multiplication, think about spreading the gospel as addition. If we win one person to Jesus each week for the next 16 and a half years, win one person, that'd be pretty cool. I was like, I would love to win one person a week. But if it's just me winning one person a week, bringing someone into the kingdom of God for the next 16 and a half years, after that, you would have 958 disciples. That'd be great. Like it would, right? Like this would be good news. If you were to win one person every day, not just a week, if you were to win one person every day for 16 and a half years, you would have 6,022 disciples. Also good news, right? Like that would be great, and I would love that. That would be phenomenal. I remember Billy Graham, if you were to fly someone to a different city every day and a 1,000 people were to respond to it, it would take 1,250 years to reach our world with Jesus, to reach our world with the good news of the gospel. Just adding one here, one there, one at a time, one person doing all of the work, as it's called, of telling people about Jesus. Multiplication, right? You know this. Any of you who have studied business, we didn't study business in high school. Any of you that are studying business, you understand multiplication. You understand the dynamics of compound interest, right? If, if we were to win one disciple every six months, who then also goes and tells people about Jesus, because that's what we're commanded to do. That's part of the full life of following Jesus. If that person was to go, and we were to follow this method of one person every six months, every six months, not every day, just one of us telling another person who was telling another person who was telling another, another person, we would reach the world in 165 years. Now, am I so naive to think that we are going to reach nine, eight, nine billion people with Jesus? No, I, I don't think that but I think we can do better than we are. Friends, the world is dying, living in darkness, waiting for someone to come and tell them good news, the good news of Jesus, that they can have the freedom that we were singing about, that there is a Lord on the throne other than whatever it is that they're worshiping, that there is good news for their souls now and Forever And multiplication is how we are called to do it. It's actually effective in that we are telling people who are then going and telling others the fish analogy. This is how it grows. It's when friends are telling friends and inviting them into their lives to see Jesus. And so as a, as a church who is part of multiplication mindset, as individuals, we are multiplying ourselves. We are telling people about Jesus and what he has done in our lives. If you don't know what he's done, slow down and think about it this week. Process who you were before you knew Jesus and who you are now. Process the full life that he is offering you and the things that we talk about every week here and see what it is that you actually have to offer. Who, who are you trying to reach? Who's in your sphere of influence? Friends, can I just tell you something? You are actually uniquely situated where you are by God's design in a place that none of the rest of us are. It's only you. 
who are operating in that sphere of influence who have an opportunity to tell those people about Jesus. I don't work at your job, and trust me, people don't want to hear from a pastor. You kind of do. The world does not. I'm actually the least effective person at this. When people find out I'm a pastor, it's like, walls go up. You, who are like mostly normal people, have a sphere of influence that you get to live in and go and have a ministry to tell people about Jesus. Who then get to go and tell other people about Jesus in their spheres of influence. And so maybe that's at college, maybe that's in your school, maybe that's on your sports team, maybe that's at your job, or maybe it's to the ends of the earth someday. I don't know. It'd be awesome. Most likely it's here in Nazareth. It's here in the Lehigh Valley. Living out a multiplication mindset. But then what we see is beyond just reaching new folks, right? Like just telling new people about Jesus, we have them also growing those who are found. See, this is part of what it means. Like discipleship and evangelism often get separated. They don't need to be. Discipleship is discipleship is discipleship. Preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with the lost is the same thing as sharing the gospel with one another. That's gospel saturation. That's genuine connection. Right? And so these people who have a multiplication mindset at Antioch are going and reaching the lost intentionally, but they're also maturing one another. They are preaching the gospel to one another. We have a responsibility in that to one another and an opportunity to actually live the full life that Jesus offers us. So in verse 25 of chapter 11, it says this, Then he, meaning Barnabas, you just heard about him showing up in Antioch, seeing the good work that's there, Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Saul. So Saul becomes Paul. All right, I'm just going to truncate that story right there for you. The Apostle Paul, this is who he's talking about. Barnabas goes to Tarsus to search for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Or if you go over to chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucine of uh, Cyrene, Mananaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or Paul, as it were. See, the person that knows Jesus is going to use their life to make Jesus known in the lives of the people around them. More disciples and mature, maturing disciples. It's investing in the people around us. And what you see Barnabas doing here is finding Saul who was hiding out in Tarsus because he didn't know even what was going on with Jesus. He couldn't understand this conversion experience that he had. Barnabas goes and starts investing in his life. If we don't have Barnabas, we don't have Paul. We don't have the early churches. Barnabas goes to mature him, to bring him into the family of God, and he brings him back to Antioch, and he's teaching him, and Paul starts teaching the people because he's a good Jewish uh, you know, knower of Scripture, and he's, he's teaching the people. And then these other leaders rise up. You see them in chapter 13 listed out. And they're pouring into each other's lives, speaking the gospel to one another. Not just more disciples out in the world, but maturing disciples within the church. This is what it means to have a multiplication mindset. To know that there are people around us, meaning all of us, who also need to be discipled daily by one another. Intentionally connecting with people who are eager to grow. Some people are not. Some people are not eager to grow, and that's okay. That's not our job. But for those people who are hungry, thirsty, you give them the gospel. And when you're hungry and thirsty, find people who will give you the gospel, 
who will speak simply Jesus into your life. In our church, this gets lived out in gospel saturation and genuine connections, but the way that we do that primarily is in community groups. So insert plug for community groups right here. If you are not part of a community group, I'm not trying to guilt you in this moment, but I'm trying to tell you that is where the maturing starts to happen, is in deep relationship as we start pouring into one another and saying, yes, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus in real life. That struggle that you're having at work, that kid that's, that's driving you crazy and you can't figure out how to parent them. This is where we start pouring into each other's lives saying, okay, let's mature together. Let's speak the gospel to one another. Let's invest in one another. Let's multiply the kingdom out in one another here in these And then from community groups, we do what are called um, huddles, discipleship huddles. We have uh, a couple women's huddles that meet and a couple guys' huddles that meet. And these are a bit more intense, a bit more uh, intentional. And maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I'm in a community group, but like, I want to go deeper. I want to know people a little bit more intimately, and I want them, I'm willing to let them know me, and I'm willing to commit to this. Come talk to me about huddles. I want to get people connected in these. But they're, you know, they're smaller, a little bit more intentional, a little bit more intense, But it's people discipling one another. This is what it means to have a multiplication mindset, is that we are reproducing what we are learning about Jesus in the lives of others. We're seeing the gospel played out in their lives, and they're seeing that it's getting played out in our lives, in community groups, in huddles, in deep relationships. So let me ask you a question. Who are you discipling? And I would argue, parents especially, you're discipling people, whether you realize it or not. And however it is that you're doing it, I don't know. But we're always discipling people. So who are you discipling? Is it your kids? That is a worthy, worthy mission field. Is it your friends? Is it other people in this church you've said, this is, this is my person, man, I'm going to pour into them. Is it your community group saying, I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to commit to being there to be discipled, and I'm going to commit to be there to share the gospel with others, because we need each other to grow mature. Are you being discipled? Is someone, has been, someone been given access to your life to mentor you, to speak into you, to speak hard truths of the gospel to you, encouraging truths of the gospel to you? And then, friends, here's what happens. As we do this, just, I'm just giving you a heads up of, of where we're going as a church. As we do this and invite neighbors in more, and as we do this and we invite other people deeper, mature, community groups grow, and then they multiply. They don't get to stay that way. Legit raise of hands right here, right now. When your community group multiplied, was it kind of sad? Yeah. I don't like multiplying community groups. That's my people. We do the thing together. It's good. But Jesus says, no, 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 there's more. We need more. Go get more. And because we've been maturing people who've risen up as leaders, they then get to take a community group and lead it. And more people get to come into that one. Friends, we are called to multiply community groups We've multiplied huddles at this point. Again, man, our first huddle was cool. I liked it. And then we multiplied it. And it's still cool. And then we're going to multiply it again. I don't know when. I'm just, but it will happen. It just, everybody's like, huh? 
we're supposed to meet this Wednesday. No, okay, soon, soon enough, right? But we're called to multiply these community groups, these huddles, for the sake of the gospel, of making Jesus known and in maturing other people so that they can go and live the gospel out. We are called to multiply ministries, to create new ministries when they're needed. Growth requires that, right? In Antioch, it's interesting. Antioch is growing because of persecution, it starts to grow. Missionary work is happening. New people are coming to Jesus. And then look what happens in verse 27 of chapter 11. In those days, some prophets... Now, we picture prophets as like these like weird, creepy, long-bearded weirdos. Maybe. I have a feeling this was just people who had a prophetic gift, who like could sense things from God. And there's times when I sense things from God. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So the lead church gets this prophetic vision, and they go to Antioch to tell them about it. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. Now look, look at Luke giving us a fact. This took place during the reign of Claudius. You can look it up. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So God warns the church about this coming famine. They tell one another and they decide, we're going to have to do something about this. If this is going to happen, we should be prepared. And you can look it up, it did happen. So this coming famine exposed a need that necessitated action. Friends, we reproduce, launch out, start new ministries to meet tangible needs. Oftentimes because one of you senses something. Can I just tell you, like, you have a voice in the church. It's not just my job to come up with good ideas. I don't have enough. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not everywhere that you are. There are times when God puts something on your heart in your mind, a need that you see that needs to be met, and it starts to rise up from within the congregation. Now, sometimes that means we engage it as a whole congregation. Other times, it might just mean it's like you, or it's your family, or it's your community group, your sphere of influence. But real need starts to come up in Antioch, and it necessitates an action. We don't just add things on. We don't just add ministries on for the sake of saying, hey, look at us, we've got these ministries. That's the ideology of a cancer cell. Just growth for the sake of growth. For the sake of growth. We do it to meet real needs. In Acts chapter 6, we see this. There's this fighting going on. People aren't being cared for well, so they say, hey, like, what do we do? We, all right, well, let's, let's get people who distribute bread to both the Greek Jews and the Jew Jews. That's, it doesn't say that in the Greek, but okay, you get it. This ministry rises up because the real need was felt within the congregation. See, we multiply ministries so that real needs are met. But can I just tell you something? This is one of the things that, like, it's just, it's funny to me. They, they will always be temporary and contextual. Community group, that's core to who we are. Going to be there. Huddles, they might come and go. We didn't do them for a while. It, just, it wasn't there. Like It wasn't happening yet. But now we are. 
We started Do Good, Give Hope at the beginning of COVID to, to, to raise funds to care for people who are being financially impacted by COVID and the pandemic and the downturn in the economy. That's not going to last forever, I hope, right? Maybe someday we have to start um, a ministry to care for uh, you know, poor families in our community or something. Maybe someone feels called to do that. Okay, we do that, and we meet the need that comes up for a while until we don't, and that's okay. See, the problem is churches historically have added on a program and then added on a program and then added on a program, and then they never stop, and they just keep going and going and going, and they become this sacred cow that then starts to run the direction of the church and it's no longer meeting the need that it originally even was intended to meet, you don't need to raise hands, but if you've been in those churches, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so at Hope, we will start new ministries intentionally to meet real tangible needs, but there's no guarantee for how long they're going to last. But we're called to meet real needs. And so as God directs us to them, we will meet them. We don't want to just get stuck in having these ministries that go on forever, no longer meeting the original intention. But do you notice what it takes to meet this need? Agabus comes and says, hey, God is telling me that there's going to be this famine. And the people respond. Did you catch this? They respond and they start pulling their resources together to say, yes, we need to meet that need. Yes, there's going to be this famine, and they gather up their resources to care for people who are going to be impacted by, similar to what we did during Do Good, Give Hope. We see this in Acts again and again and again. The people are gathering together. They're so moved by the resurrection and the power of Jesus that they start pooling all of their resources together to say, how do we care for one another? How do we bring about this, this gospel ministry here in Jerusalem? How do we bring about this gospel ministry here in Antioch? Friends, when new ministry pops up, we have an option. We have, we have an, it's not an obligation. We have the opportunity to be part of it, to be part of meeting the need. And so if you want a way to remember this, maybe you've heard this before, I said it earlier, that involves our time to meet needs. It involves our talents. Like, you guys have abilities that I don't have. My dream is that someday we will have other teachers up here teaching the gospel. I don't want to do this every week. I need to learn something too. You have talents in kids' ministry and hospitality and, and helping lead community groups and hosting them and, um, you know, time, talents, and treasures, money. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we do not talk about money hardly ever. That's because it's been abused by the church over the years to hold people, to, to exert power over people, and to religiously manipulate people. We do not talk about money in that way. There's an offering, the box, the offering box in the back. I hardly ever mention it. We don't pass a basket intentionally. But can I just tell you that like, part of being a Jesus follower is saying, God has given me everything that I have, my time, my talents, and my treasures, and because if he's worth it, I will give it back to him in some way. So what that means, I'm just going to be honest with you, what that means for me and Jess is that we set aside 10% of my income that comes in. It's kind of a weird thing. I get paid by the church. I then give money back to the church. Anyway, it's what we do. But we set aside 10% of my income. I'm not, look, 
It's not a religious law that it has to be 10%, okay? Just know that. That's an Old Testament thing. And I'm not saying it's to brag. I'm telling you because I just want you to know that, like, I believe it and I'm also doing it. I'm not calling you to do something that I am also not investing in. But we set aside money for kingdom, we call it kingdom work. So a good chunk of that comes back into Hope Alliance because I want to see good kids' curriculum. I want to see money go towards community group reimbursement meals. Like, I want to see huddles happen and buy the books for them and all these things. Like, I, I, want, I, like, I like being able to be in the Y and pay for them to be here, like, pay, pay them to be here. We set aside money to give to my cousins who are missionaries. We get letters from kids who want to go on missions trips, and so we try to send money to that. But, but we're trying to see ministry multiplied with what God has given us. We want to give it Back And so I'm encouraging you to know that in obedience to Jesus and walking with him and experiencing the full life, I'm just promising you that part of experiencing the full life of Jesus is saying, Jesus, my talents, my time, my treasures, they're yours. You direct me how you want. I want to see ministry multiplied because you are worth making known. You are worth seeing more disciples and mature disciples Made. Friends, this is what it means to have a multiplication mindset. Can I ask maybe what God might be calling you to share to accomplish kingdom work? Whether it's giving towards Hope Alliance, I don't know. Giving towards work out in the world. Saying, hey, I'm going to use my time in this way. I'm going to open up my home for community group so that the Wellses don't always have to host. They have not complained to me. I'm just pimping that for them, okay? That it's nice when other people are hospitable. I did use the word pimping. Maybe it's helping out with kids' ministry. Maybe it's being part of setup team. Maybe it's being a sound person. Maybe it's saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith and say that I feel like God's calling me to be a community group leader. I don't know. I don't know what it is. We're multifaceted. That's the beauty of the church. But Jesus is worth being lived for with our time and talents and treasures. This is what it means to have a multiplication mindset. So where does this land us? I'm gonna land the plane, I promise. What all of that leads to is us being a multiplying congregation, a multiplying church, as it were. The church that knows simply Jesus in their life will use their church to make Jesus known in every way possible. And often that means sending out our best. To be missionaries, empowering them to, to, to go to uh, you know, a program in a college so that they can be on campus ministry. Sometimes it means multiplying our congregation. Friends, it is my dream, it is our dream as a leadership team that there would be more hope alliances around the valley someday. So if you ever hear me talking about more, that I want more, it's not for my ego. I don't want to see more disciples here because, like, I'm going to be super proud of me. Jesus is worth it, so I want to see more disciples made so that we can send people out to plant a new church somewhere else. Because those people can then live in their sphere of influence to tell people about Jesus there in that town. This is how the gospel is supposed to multiply out and about because we send our best. Look what happens in Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, 
Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're trying to be close to the rabbi, right? They're trying to listen. As they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, again, I don't know how that happened. I don't know if there was a booming voice. My guess is no. But somehow they sensed the Holy Spirit was saying something. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, meaning like blessed them, they sent them off. Barnabas, Saul, two of the greatest teachers the early church had ever seen. God says, send them out. Think about that. Think about that in this room, if that happened. Somebody was like, hey, you know what? I'm just picking on Kevin and Tammy because they're leading the community group. If God was like, hey, we're going to start a new church in this area, and we want you to go help be part of the leadership team there. I would hate that. When we left Bethlehem, I didn't want to leave Tony. I didn't cry talking about it. I love being with my brother every Sunday. I got comfortable there. It was nice. I didn't have to worry about the service. <laughs> it was wonderful. But God said, no, 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 that's why we're here. Plant more churches. Tell more people about Jesus. Friends, the church, the multiplying church is willing to send out their people to train them up, to mature them, and to send them out, to give them opportunities to lead, to equip them and send them out, whether it's around the world or it's town down the road, I don't know. But this is what it means to be a multiplying church. Can I say again that we would not be here if other people had not made that sacrifice? Going all the way back, well, to Jesus first and foremost, but to Paul, Barnabas, to Antioch, all those years ago. And guess what? Those churches are temporary too. Most of them are, just to give you a heads up. Most of them go away, but discipleship keeps going. Multiplication keeps going. The church of Jesus still exists. Just changes where it is. Things look different over time. But we are here because other people had a multiplication mindset. And so Antioch becomes a base for worldwide impact. Do you know that We're doing that too. That when you give, 10% of our giving goes back to global mission, back to seeing people who are on college campuses telling people about Jesus, back to somebody like Peter Cady and First Responder Chaplain Corps who is reaching first responders in the Lehigh Valley with Jesus, a sphere of influence that you and I would never be able to have. That our money goes to the Christian Missionary Alliance who's supporting workers all over the world, some of whom are from our congregation for the sake of where they are serving. I'm not going to name names, but you've met them before. This is what it means to have global impact, telling people about Jesus to the ends of the earth. We want to be a place that sends workers in every and any way possible, as Jesus calls us to, to plant churches around the valley as gospel outposts for the kingdom, and to make the greatest impact possible. Friends, I've said things like this before, and um, 
I don't know how to say it any clearer um, or honestly than to say, you don't have to do that. There's no obligation to. But I want to tell you that you get to. That you get to live for something else. That you get to walk obediently with Jesus and experience full life in joining him on mission. And like having kids, you're not ready. You never will be. It's going to mess you up in ways that you couldn't even thought of. But man, it's good. It's so good to live your life for Jesus, to experience being at the feet of the rabbi, hearing from him and sensing his call, but also joining him in making him known to the world. Man, that's full life. It really is. And all I can do is offer it to you and say, there it is. What will you do with it?